So if I may, I'd like to tell you about a course that my husband's put together. This is something that's a long time in the making. He has been teaching people how to do this and teaching people how to use their money so that their money works hard so that you don't have to. And you've heard previous episodes of Brett's giving you advice, financial advice, advice on investing. If you love that kind of thing, you definitely want to follow him on Instagram. Now, he doesn't post that kind of stuff to his feed. I know he doesn't take any of my advice when it comes to Instagram, but he's always offering that advice on his Instagram stories. And because of that, people have been begging him for probably the last five years to teach or create a course, a basic course for beginners, not for the person who's already investing, not for the person who already has a portfolio and understands you know, annuities and their retirement fund and how to figure out how to get started, all of those things. That's the course that he created. It's called Money Matters 101. It has been five years in the making, but it's a quick course. This is literally a 101 course for those of you who are afraid of the numbers. You're afraid of the financials, but it's time for you to take control of that. We've got to change that mindset. And you can, and it's important that you do because I don't want you to work as hard as you've been working. I want your money to work harder for you. And Brett wants to teach you how to do that. And he's my husband, so I can tell you, he doesn't mansplain things. He really does break it down and make it super simple because he's had 30 years of training working with someone who has ADHD, who is constantly saying like, hold on, hold on. Okay, back it up, slow it down, break that down for me, draw a little picture. And it's a really great course. So anyways, you can check it out. There is a link in our show notes for you to check out Brett's new course, Money Matters 101. Hey, thanks so much for joining me here today on The Shaleen Show. Before we get to our today's special guest, I just want to mention that. So I started posting about this apartment that we're staying in, in New York City. It's an amazing apartment. It's the sickest thing ever. Like this is what I've dreamed of being in. You know what I mean? Like we spent a month in New York City last year And we paid almost the same amount, but the apartment that we're in this year is like, this is what I had in mind. Like floor to ceiling, like three stories of glass. It's so freaking cool. And when I posted about it, people, as they do, you know, were saying like, okay, how much is it? What are you spending per night? Like, you know, how much is it to live there for a month? And I just decided to like tell people like, this is basically what you can expect to pay for a place like this. And that sparked all of these questions and conversations about money. You know, and here's the thing, I share specifics, and I I mentioned this on, I think it was last Friday's podcast, about where we're at. And I mean, not like exact specifics, like, you know, our tax returns or anything, but like, I do think it's important to hear numbers so that it takes away the shock. Because I did not grow up with money. I grew up not knowing we were poor, but my parents were often broke. We did like kind of that feast or famine kind of thing. And when I was needing to change my mindset, when I I wanted to change my circumstances, when I was around people who had money, like the first time I was ever in someone's home who was like, you know, a millionaire or maybe even a multimillionaire, I don't know. I was so uncomfortable. It felt so foreign to me. I felt like a fish out of water. I felt like they were looking at what I was wearing, thinking about 
like how expensive my accessories were, what car I drove. Like I was so uncomfortable and so in my head. And it wasn't until later I realized like that was just me. They didn't care. And part of what I had to do to change my mindset was to expose myself to people who thought differently, who who made more money. Like I had to stop thinking of those things as being from another planet and outside my realm of reality. And I had to start going like, okay, yeah, this is normal. I need it. I need this to be normal. Right. So I started talking about that on my Instagram stories and talking about, well, hang on, we should just start the show. All right, let's get the show started. Okay. So back to my Instagram story. So if you followed me on Instagram this weekend, you know, like for some reason, this just, this whole topic of money mindset and how your parents or your early childhood experiences, you don't realize how it has subconsciously programmed you around money. Like things that parents say, you don't even realize it. Like money doesn't grow in trees or we can't afford that. We're broke. What do you think? I'm made of money. You know, all these things. Like sometimes there are things you just don't even realize were part of your programming. Like my dad, for example, would always say that the stocks are like gambling. So I held this belief that anyone who invested in the stocks was basically the equivalent of a gambler. Like that was a money belief I had. So there's all these beliefs that we need to challenge around money. And my stories this weekend blew up, blew up. And I just want you to know, I'm going to dig deeper into this. I'm going to do that on Wednesday. Okay. So on Wednesday, I promise me that you'll listen to this episode because Brett's going to answer your questions. Brett's going to answer all of your questions that you submitted to my Instagram stories and his Instagram stories about your specific questions regarding like credit cards and buying a home. Should I invest in this versus that? Does it make sense to invest if I don't have any money? Like, what's the first thing that I should... Like, all of the kind of like 101 questions. This is a follow-up episode to the last one he did, which was so popular. And if you're already telling yourself, well, I'm not going to listen to this because I'm not interested, that right there should tell you everything about where you're struggling with your money mindset. I mean, unless you're like, I already have too much money. I don't have enough days in the year to give it all away. I mean, if that's your situation, well, then you don't need to listen to this. But if that's not your situation and you could benefit from having more money, you need to listen to this episode and you need to listen to Wednesdays because on Wednesdays, I'm going to dig into how your programming, I'm going to talk about like how it is your money mindset was role modeled to you. And I'm going to help you identify some of those things that are currently holding you back And I'm also going to do this because this came up a ton this weekend. How do you change it? Okay, that's great. I've got a limiting belief around money. There's a certain amount that I think I can't make more than. How do you change that? I'm going to answer that for you. I'm going to answer so much more for you on Wednesday. But first, I want you to listen to this episode with Brett, but don't forget to make sure you set your alarm or your calendar or whatever. Come back on Wednesday so we can talk a little further about where there may be blocks in your mindset that you just don't even realize that are there. But I want you to listen to this episode with an open mind, take some notes. As you know, Brett is not a financial advisor. He's just sharing his own personal opinion. And I need to say this for legal reasons. This is for entertainment purposes only. You don't get to hold him responsible if you make some dumb decisions 
blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I hope that satisfies all the lawyers. All right, Brett, you can take it over. So yesterday, Shaleen posted up, and so did I, on my Instagram stories, the ability to be able to ask us questions about streams of income, different ways to make money, different ways to invest, and just questions that you might have. And obviously, we said, you know, ask away. And, you know, what I want to do is I want to try to answer as many as I can, so I'm going to go rapid fire. So the first question was, what's the difference between a mutual fund and a savings account? Well, they're drastically different. A savings account is just something that your bank offers that you sit and you park money. You're not going to get much interest, you know, maybe a little bit, a sliver, and you pretty much only use your savings account for like maybe, just like it says, saving up for something big. Maybe it's a down payment on a house or it's a car or a trip or something like that. You put money in a savings account when you don't want it to be lost. What do I mean by that? You don't want it in the market where it could go up or down, right? If it went up, it'd be great. But if it went down and you were expecting or you needed that money, that's not a good thing. So it's basically you put money in a savings account when you actually need it. Now, there's some other places that you can put your money and get a little bit of interest. I talk about them all the time on my Instagram stories. So you can look into one of these three banks. You could look into SoFi. You could look into Ally Bank. And you could also look into Wealthfront. Wealthfront is my favorite. Now, a mutual fund is an investment. So you are with the volatility of the market. So your money can go up or down. Some other things that you have to look for in the mutual fund, there's obviously fees because an actual broker or a financial advisor is investing the money for you. So make sure you know what the fees are before you get involved with the mutual fund. There's also, like I said before, there's volatile of the market going up or down. There's also sometimes, you have to check this out, there's sometimes penalties if you take your money out early on a mutual fund. Sometimes there's like time limits. So you might have to keep the money in for four years or you might have to keep the money in for X amount of years. So just always know if you can move your money in or out. That's the most important thing to do. Also check the fees with mutual funds, but they're drastically different. So savings account is not an investment tool. Mutual funds is an investment tool. Got a lot of what if I'm just starting out type of questions? Like what if I'm late in the game or I'm just starting out now? What is the first step? Well, the first step is to start allocating a percentage of your income to an investment portfolio, whether it's retirement or whether it's, you know, stocks or whether it's, you know, it could be anything, but you start putting money aside for investment purposes only. And you need to start that right away. What do Shalene and I recommend? We recommend between five and 15% of your income and you can start that right away. And don't worry about like timing the market or trying to get in when it's low or, you know, waiting till it comes down or whatever that might be. Just get in the habit of every single month or every single quarter adding to your investment portfolio, retirement portfolio, and let it start growing. So the answer to the question is, no, it's never too late to start, but you got to start ASAP. And a good guideline is maybe 5 to 15% of your income. If you're a little bit later in life and you have a lot of things that you've already, you know, you already have a lot of things, like you don't need a lot of stuff. So maybe you want to start that out at 15%. You might even want to bump it up to 20%. It just depends on your income level and how comfortable you are with investing it. 
I was really excited that we got a couple of these questions because the day before I put one of our streams of income was that we get money from a syndicated apartment deals. And people ask the question, they're like, what does that even mean? What is a syndicated apartment and how do you get involved with it? Well, a syndicate basically just means a group of people. They pool their money together. So as you can imagine, an apartment complex, whether it's 16 units, 30 units, 100 units, or whatever it might be, is very expensive. And there's people that do this for a living is they put these syndicates together and their expertise is finding the apartments, knowing like what to pay for them, interest rates, you know, how to do like rehab on the property, how to hire a property man. They do all that stuff. So in the syndicate, all you're doing is putting up your money and it just depends on what kind of syndicate there is. So there's all different ways. I'm not going to tell you like they could skin the cat a million different ways, right? So you could get this percentage or that percentage, but the bottom line is, is that it's the easiest way to get involved with like large apartment complexes if that's something you want to do without having to like learn all about a new trade, which would be like buying apartments and like managing apartments. So let's say for instance, you want to put in like $50,000. What will happen is you will be a part of a pool of money that buys that apartment complex and you will get a percentage every single month of the rent. Now it's not going to be as big as if you went out and bought it yourself, but it's still a decent amount. And what happens is over time with the strategy is to like refinance and get your money back out, but then you still own the apartment. So look into it. It's called syndicated apartments. They're all over the place. And what my advice would be this is go with a company that has done this for a long time and they have a track record and you can go to clients, you can go to people that have already like cashed out and like have been in it for five, 10 years. The syndicates that Shalene and I are in, the guy's been buying apartments in Southern California since the 1970s. So there's people out there, there's reputable people out there, just do your homework. All right, another question was, what is my favorite stream of income? I have a couple. So I'm a big fan of like passive income and watching it grow. And I think subscriptions have been really great. So we have a couple subscription businesses and those are really fun because it's just, it's kind of competitive almost like how to get them to grow. And a lot of times it's just advertising and being consistent. So that's a lot of fun, especially when you do put in the work and you see them grow over time. That's awesome. And I love the investment part of it. Even in a year that's been horrible, I'm a firm believer in history. And the history of the stock market shows that if you stay patient and you invest in good companies over the long run, you're going to win. So even in a bad year like this, I don't look at it like, oh my gosh, we're losing money because it's on paper. And I know eventually it will come back. So the money that we're investing this year in the market, while it's down, I know will come back even bigger. So I really like that. I like studying the stock market. I like looking at the companies. I love looking at the CEOs. I'm a big believer in like the CEO who's running the company. So those are two of my favorite. Here's a great question. And I'm going to start it off by saying, these are the type of questions that I need so much more information but I'm going to give you kind of what hypothetically the way my brain thinks. So somebody asked, we have in our savings $120,000. Okay. So my first 
thought right there is like, I hope you don't have it in a savings account making 0.01% interest. I hope it's in Wealthfront or Ally Financial or SoFi making 3.3% right now, which is what it's doing. So I hope your money's in something like that, if it has to be somewhere, not in a savings account. The second thing is they said that we owe $80,000 on our home and that's our only debt. So the question is, do we take that 120,000 and take 80 of it and pay off the house and not have a house payment? Okay, so here's my thinking. One, I don't know how old you are. (laughs) I don't know, like, is this retirement? Is this something where it's like overhead? Like if you're getting ready to retire, yeah, that might be a great move. But if you are still in your money making years and you still have a job and an income, right? More than likely your interest rate is on that house is below 3% if you were smart and refinanced when the interest rates were zero back in, you know, 2018 and 2019 and 2020. So you could have got like, you know, probably an interest rate at three or lower. So my question is this, if you're paying 3% on your mortgage and the stock market yields back on an average over the last 25 years at 10%, I would take the $120,000 and put it in the market and let that money grow and continue to pay off your mortgage with your job. Now, like I said, if you are going into retirement and you don't want to have any of that overhead and you just want to pay off your house, then pay off your house. But that's the way I look at it. If you can make more money in the market or more money somewhere else, why would you pay off your house if your interest rate is very low? And then the final thing is don't have $120,000 in a savings account making 0.01%. Put it somewhere smart, Google it, Wealthfront, SoFi, Ally Financial. The next question is, did Shalene and I use a lot of debt to build those streams of income? We did not. We basically believe in building one stream at a time. So we weren't building eight or nine streams of income all at once, or we probably would have had to use some debt or borrow money to build those up. What we've done is we create the product or the stream of income. We get it to the point where it's sustainable. It can run itself. And then we go build another one and another one and another one. And some of them kind of just happened by kind of osmosis because we started investing five to 15% of our income. So that just kind of grew over time. So obviously we don't have debt there. None of the streams of income require us to self-fund any of them anymore. And when we did, when we were starting off like our subscription business or our product business, those businesses were funded by other streams of income. So we used other streams of income to start those other streams. And that's how we build one after another. So we do one at a time. You know, I'd be lying if I said it was one at a time. Sometimes we were doing two at a time, but that was after we were already established and we had enough money and we had a staff. So some of those streams of income were helped built by, you know, having a staff and having team Johnson around to give us the ability to build those additional streams of income. Another great question. And I'm going to direct you. Remember I told you at the beginning that if I'm not the person expert to tell you this, I'm going to tell you who to go talk to. So somebody is now an entrepreneur or they're a contractor and they're getting a 1099 and they're no longer employed. So they're not getting a 401k and they want to know, should we transfer our 401k and where should we transfer it to? 
that ain't a question for me because that's got tax implications to it. So you should be talking to your CPA or your financial advisor about how to structure that because sometimes, like I've said in the past, they have penalties. I don't know. I don't know what state you're in. I don't know if that can be rolled over to something else. I don't know what kind of income you're in right now. So that's a question that you must go to your CPA or your financial advisor and say, hey, look at this. I'm never going back to work for this company. I got this 401k. Here it is. Here's how it's all spelled out. Here's the money. Here's the account. What can I do with this? Because now I'm working for myself or I'm an entrepreneur or whatever it might be. And also ask them, what should I be doing? Where should I be as my new current gig? 1099 contractor or an entrepreneur, where should I be putting my retirement into? I'm actually on our, I'm in our bedroom here again in New York City and I'm looking out onto this amazing view. Like it is so cool. I freaking love it. And I am wearing my new champagne colored robe. It's the most beautiful, thick, silk, comfy, like, luxurious robe I've ever owned, I swear to you. And it's made by Blissey. You might remember that like a couple weeks ago, I told you about this spray that I found that I've been spraying on my pillows and the eye mask that I use and the silk pillow case, right? Like, so I'm trying to improve the quality of my hair and everyone's been raving about like, or saying, you you know, you really need to switch to a silk pillowcase. And I'm like, really? Does it really make that big of a difference? I'm telling you. I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's changed the health of my hair. I don't wake up in the morning with my hair like in a big knot. And so it's this blissy pillowcase. And then I've been spraying my pillowcase with this. It's like a eucalyptus spray. It's insane. It makes your bedroom smell like a spa. And so I just ordered one of their robes and I reached out to them and asked them if they would be a show sponsor to which they agreed. And it gets even better than that because the reason why I want to tell you about this today is because starting November 14th through the 28th, so just a very short window, Blissey is having their biggest sale of the year. And I'm just letting you know, if you've got to buy gifts for any women, there is no better time than right now to go and check out their website because they've got so many cool things. Like, And they've got tons of raving fans besides me. And they also have a risk-free 60-night guarantee that you can try, like whatever it is, a robe or a pillowcase, whatever. But on top of that, you get 30% off because they are a show sponsor. What, what? That's right. And so when you go to blissy.com, and I'm going to spell it B-L-I-S-S-Y.com forward slash Shaleen and use code Shaleen, you're going to get 30% off. I mean, that's insane, right? Especially right now when you go from the 14th to the 28th when they're having their big sale. What do I recommend you get? I mean, this robe is next level. Champagne, the color champagne looks good on freaking everybody. If you're a blonde, it's a must-have. If you're a brunette, you look gorgeous in it. Like, everybody looks good in the color champagne. I don't know what it is. It's like, I think that color and lavender are two colors that everyone looks good in. So get yourself a champagne colored robe if you're going to get something for yourself. And then get your girlfriend, like they've got these little packages that you can get now. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's just for the holidays that they're doing this, but they've got these packages where you can get like a headband and a sleep mask and a pillowcase, like a bunch of different options. Everything's amazing. Did I already mention the spray? Like the spray 
you will be addicted. You won't be able to sleep another night without spraying it on your pillow. Anyways, I'm super pumped that they are offering you 30% off. So just go to blissy, B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com forward slash Shalene and enter code Shalene. That's what gets you your 30% off. Question. I have $30,000 right now. What should I do with it? Well, there's another question. I don't know how old you are. I don't know how much more income you have. I don't know if that's the only $30,000 like you're going to be living on or, you know, there's lots of questions. But if I just had $30,000 right now and it was plopped in front of me, this current day and age right now with the stock market down almost 25%, the NASDAQ down almost 30% for the year, my gut tells me that I would put the $30,000 into an S&P 500 index fund. What does that mean? That is the index that holds all 500 companies in the S&P 500, right? So it's very diverse. Obviously, you have, you're, you're part of 500 companies. Over the last 20 years, I believe it's averaged just under 10% per year annual return. Obviously, it's done horrible this year, but in the previous two years to this, I think it was up over 20%. So it's, it's allowed to go down every once in a while. It stocks don't go up forever and ever and ever. So that's what I would do based on this current deal. Now, if you already have a ton of money in the stock market and you don't feel like putting more in it, then you might want to go back and listen to what I just said about that syndicated apartment deal. I think $30,000 would be a great investment in a syndicated apartment deal as well. I believe the number one thing that you can do with your kids at an early age to teach them about money and investing is to talk to them about it. They're not going to get it in schools. So you need to find like courses or if you or your, you know, your partner is savvy in investing and understand money and stuff like that to teach them because they're not going to learn it in school. And that's horrible. I think there's only like seven or eight states that required in high school as a part of graduation. It should be mandatory in middle school and in high school. There should be levels to it and talk to them about what debt is and like how you pay off your credit every single month if you're using a credit card and what is interest and why is that why can you get in trouble if you don't pay things back and you're paying 18% on something talk to them about being like overspending and living within your means and just all those type of things without telling them that money doesn't grow on trees and giving them a poor money mindset talking to them about how Money is, it's a means to get things. It's to buy things, to travel, to live, and that it should be a tool and you shouldn't abuse it. And it should be something that is also can make you money too. It is when you want to, I mean, open up a small, you know, like E-Trade account with your children, with your name on it and have fun with stocks that they understand. You know, they understand Disney. They watch Netflix. They watch, you know, different shows. I know one family's got a eight year old daughter, eight or nine year old daughter, and they, they bought my course. They went through my course and they started buying stocks. And one of the stocks that she wanted to buy was Roblox because it's like a games that they play. So have fun with it. Kind of teach them, show them how like money can grow and you put money in and you invest it and stuff like that and how to put it away. But just talk to them positively about money and also 
teach them. And if you don't understand or your spouse or partner doesn't understand about money, you have to familiarize yourself with the different terms out there because it's not cute to be 45 or 50 years old and be like, I don't know anything about investment or retirement or anything like that. And I didn't teach my kids. So now your kids don't have that knowledge. So it's super helpful if you can start them early, even if you are starting at ground zero, start with them at ground zero, teach them. So you guys can do this together. You know, maybe your parents didn't do it for you, but you're going to do it for your kids and you're going to change generations. That would be my advice. Great question. How do I put in priority paying off debt, putting money into savings or investing money? Okay. So let's take the first one. Currently, the only debt that we have is our home. So the only debt that Shalene and I currently have is the home. I pay off my credit cards and I teach this is I pay off our credit cards every single month. So we don't, you know, we don't have any interest. And that's the only way I think that you should use a credit card is if you're going to pay it off every single month so you can get the rewards, whether it's cash back miles or whatever it might be. So we always start with paying off our credit card. So like if we owe a certain amount, that money gets paid off first right? Before we invest or before we go into our savings. So now our savings is all we do is we keep in our savings the amount of money that we need for an emergency fund. So if everything were to shut down tomorrow, like we are basically an internet marketing company and all of a sudden the internet went away and we had no ability to make money. We have a emergency fund of six months that we don't have to have any income coming in and we could still pay for our mortgage and pay for food and all that kind of stuff. So as soon as I have my emergency fund, I don't put money into savings anymore because the savings account, and I don't even keep my money in a savings account. I keep it in, this will be the third time I've mentioned this. So I keep it in Wealthfront or SoFi or Ally. We use Wealthfront and right now it's at 3.3%. So my emergency fund is making 3.3% a year well, it sits there and waits and I might never need it, but it's still sitting there just in case, right? And then what we do with the leftovers is we invest. And like I said before, we are typically between five and 15%. Sometimes we do even a little bit more than that because a lot of times we don't have big expenses for the year. This year, it's going to be probably under 15% because we had two weddings, our Son and daughter both got married this year and we were fortunate enough to be able to be in the position to pay for both weddings. And so this year, our investment money, most of it went to those two weddings. Okay, you listen to The Shaleen Show, so I know that you know about the gut microbiome, right? Like it's so central to our health. But I also know, but have you considered your skin microbiome? Have you considered that some of your acne or red spots or eczema might actually be a result of a disruption or an imbalance in your skin's microbiome? So for me, I was dealing with these occasional breakouts on my forehead. And hello, I am an adult. Why am I getting breakouts on my forehead? And also these like red patches on the backs of my triceps. Looking for a solution, I heard somebody else talking about this product called GladSkin that actually 
focuses on your skin's microbiome. I decided to give it a try. And you guys, first of all, the red spots on the back of my triceps, which are making me kind of self-conscious, they're so much lighter. And I don't worry about showing my forehead because I don't get breakouts on it anymore. Since I started using GladSkin, I'm not getting the breakouts on my forehead. And those red spots on the backs of my arms, they're almost gone. And that's because GladSkin specifically works to to target those imbalances in our skin microbiome. Unlike other brands or even some prescription medications, GladSkin uses what they call microbalance. It's like it's this revolutionary protein that has been designed to kind of like restore the balance of the good and bad bacteria that they live on your skin, even if you're fresh out of the shower. And by getting those things in balance, your skin will finally heal. Glad Skin with Microbial Balance is steroid-free. It works without any harsh chemicals or ingredients, and it's clinically proven to reduce eczema symptoms by up to 91% in both adults and children. That's huge. In as little as seven days. So if you've been frustrated with the things you've tried in the past, what do you have to lose? Give Glad Skin a try. It's a great way to support the show and find a solution. They're giving listeners of the show 15% off, plus free shipping. That's huge. You get that on your first order when you go to gladskin.com forward slash Shaleen. Okay, again, 15% off plus free shipping when you go to gladskin.com forward slash Shaleen, gladskin.com forward slash Shaleen. Here's a good question, and it's going to be really quick. What are my thoughts on cryptocurrency? My thoughts on cryptocurrency are this. I don't know. And I don't think anybody really knows. I think you can listen to really smart people on both sides of the fence and they'll give you reasons why they think it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. And I can tell you that there's some really smart people out there that say it's the biggest fraud. It's like a Ponzi scheme. It's horrible, whatever. I'm kind of like in the middle. Like, I don't know. So what have we done? We've invested in a few cryptos. I think we're in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, those three. And what we do is, and I've talked to Shalene about this, and she's in agreement. We have money in there that if it took off, we would be really excited about it. It wouldn't be like our biggest investment ever, but if it took off and it was what the experts say it is, that it would be great. We'd be able to go on you know, two or three really nice vacations if we wanted to use that money for that. And then on the alternative, if it went to zero and it was nothing, it's not enough money for us to be like, oh my God, we just lost our whole life savings or it's really not even gonna affect us that much. So there's the answer. I don't have a lot of money in it and it could go to zero. I would be upset, but I wouldn't be devastated. And if it takes off, I don't have all my money in it. So I wouldn't be like, oh my God, we just hit the biggest home run ever, but we did okay. So hopefully that answers your question. I don't really have solid evidence on either side. I just listen to what I do. I'm bigger into, you know, equities, stocks, and that kind of thing in real estate. So I tend to lean to invest in those areas first. Question, how do you get money out of the stock market dividends? So when companies have a dividend and they pay you, so for instance, let's say Apple, you own Apple and every quarter they give you money. And this person wants to know, how do you get that money out without paying capital gains? You don't. So the only way you don't pay capital gains is when you keep the money in a retirement fund. So if Apple is, this is getting a little complicated here, but if Apple is held within like a retirement fund 
and you get dividends and you reinvest those dividends into that retirement fund, then you don't pay taxes until you start taking that money out at retirement. But if you are just in normal stocks and you're in a bunch of dividend stocks and you make $100,000 a year in dividend stocks, you're paying capital gains on that $100,000. To my knowledge, there's no way around it. All right, I'm gonna tease this answer because I think I need to do a whole podcast or at least 15 minutes on it, and I don't wanna do 15 minutes on it in a quick rapid fire, but buy or rent your house. We just sold one property, we're selling another property, and I don't have any plans, or we don't have any plans right now in buying in this market. So I know that's controversial. I know people have said for years that your home is your greatest investment, And I've broken that down and it's not. (laughs) When you start calculating everything you have to pay to maintain that house as an owner, when property taxes and taxes and mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, sometimes it's not. But there is a caveat. If you will not invest the money that you would save by renting into the market, then buy a house. If you're not disciplined enough to take like, let's say for instance, if you did all the calculations and you bought a house and it was going to cost you, you know, $10,000 more a year to own the house versus renting the house. And you don't take that $10,000 and put it in the market or put it in some kind of investment portfolio, then go ahead and buy a house. Then it makes total sense to buy a house. But in this day and age right now, in this current market, I don't think buying a house is a great idea. Sorry, realtors. I just don't. Great question. So somebody said, I'm meeting with a financial advisor this week. I really don't quite understand retirement. What kind of questions should I be asking him or her? You shouldn't be asking very many questions. You should be answering questions. They should be asking you numerous questions about what you want at retirement because that's what retirement's for. You invest now so that when you get to retirement, you have a picture of what is already gonna be there. So it depends on your age. So obviously that will be a question, like how old are you guys? What age do you wanna retire? So you see how many years you have between now and the time you wanna retirement. They'll wanna understand your approach to investing. Are you conservative? Are you aggressive? What kind of things do you want to put your money into? They'll have all kinds of different, I call them vehicles. They'll be all different types of places you can put your retirement. A lot of it will have to do with what your job is. If you're self-employed, if you're an entrepreneur, if you get 1099, if you work for somebody else. So they will ask a bunch of questions, but what you'll want to go in there with is you want to walk out of there with like, okay, with a plan, like how much money do we have to invest every single year to get to X amount at age 55, 65, whatever it is, and what is the best place to do that? Where's the most, not the safest, because everything everything that has to do with investing, don't put the word safe, because that's why they call it investing, because the market can go up or down, right? So if you to put your money, all your money into some kind of retirement account or investment account, last November, November of 2021, through this 2022, you'd be like going, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Like literally, it's down 30%, right? But 
that's investing because the two years previous, it was up over 30%. So you just happened to get in at a bad time. Now, what you should be doing, most people get scared and that's what happens. Most people get scared and they leave the market. Now, once you leave the market and pull your money out, then you've lost that money. But if you keep it in and add to it and add to good quality companies in terms of stocks, then you will grow. Now, most retirement type of funds and stuff like that aren't down 30%. I'm talking about like the stock market. So most retirement funds are more conservative than that. They're not going down 30%. They're way more conservative. They're way more diversified. They're way more spread out. So you're definitely going to want to talk to them about how much money you're going to put in, how much money you're going to need at retirement and where are we going to put it? Are we going to put it in the stocks? Are we going to put it into annuities, mutual funds? Are we going to put it into a retirement fund, SEP IRA? It's like all these different things, you know? So you just want to go in there with an open mind, but you also want to know like what number you have in mind that you want to retire with, how much money and what age. Here's another question that I need a little bit more information, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have fun with it because it's kind of fun. So somebody inherited $500,000. They have no debt, but they've been recently laid off. So here's what I would do. I would figure out first, how much do I need to live off for the next six months and not like extravagant, just basic needs, right? For the next six months, because you're going to take the next six months and you're going to find your next gig, whether it's, you know, your own thing or a new job or whatever, but you're going to put that six months and you're going to put it in a wealth front or an ally or a SoFi type things where you're getting interest off of that because you might get a job next week, but you can just keep it there just in case you get laid off again. Right? So figure that out. So that would be your emergency fund. So let's say that is you needed like five or $6,000 a month. So let's just call it five. So six months, so you put $30,000. So now you have $470,000 left, right? And you have no debt. So I would invest that. First, I would you know, go talk to your CPA first. And if you don't have any retirement, I would start some kind of retirement account, right? Right away. I would maybe look into some syndicated apartments, And so that you have income coming in off of that money. And then if you don't know anything about the stock market and you don't want to learn anything about the stock market, you could start taking portions of that money. Don't put it all in at once. Maybe say for the next year, you're going to put in, you know, $50,000 every quarter for the next year. And that would be $200,000 into an S&P 500 index fund. And you just kind of you just kind of like put in increments of $50,000 like every quarter. So that would be $200,000 there and then $30,000 for the emergency fund. So you're at still at 270. Let's say you're, you know, you start your retirement at $100,000. So now you're at 370, you have another $130,000. You put $100,000 into a syndicated apartment where you're going to get income from that every single month. And then you have $30,000 to whatever, you know, in your checking to just keep living and stuff. Sorry you got laid off and I hope you get a job and that emergency money can just sit there and gain 3.3 interest. But that's what I would do. Here's another question that I probably have more of a controversial answer. But somebody said, I'm still in $20,000 in debt. Should I start investing before I pay off the $20,000? Most people are going to say, 
pay off the $20,000 and then start investing. What I'm going to tell you to do is I want you to start investing a little bit, not a bunch. I want you to concentrate on getting rid of that debt because that's the most important thing. But I want you to start the habit of monthly, just like a credit card. I want you to start the habit of putting in a little bit. It could be $100. It could be $50. It could be whatever it is. Just start getting in the habit. Open up yourself a little E-Trade account. Start putting money in there. Start buying some stocks. Start buying an S&P 500 index fund. Start doing it because once your 20 grand is paid off, you'll have five, six, seven, whatever it takes you to pay off that 20 grand, you'll have that many months of solid habit of investing. And more than likely, you're gonna see some gains, which is gonna make you even wanna do more once that $20,000 is paid off. I'm gonna end with this question. If I only had $100 to invest right now, I only have $100, what should I do? First of all, you should open up an account. I'm just gonna say E-Trade, it's very simple. You're going to link your E-Trade account up to your bank account. You're going to transfer that $100 into E-Trade account and you are going to invest in an index fund like the S&P 500. You could even just, with $100, you could just buy a few shares of your favorite bank. You could, but you know, you want to be diversified. You're not going to be able to buy a bunch of stock right off the bat, but you could look at different stocks. You could look at like different things that you know, like a Wells Fargo or Bank of America, stocks that are under a hundred dollars. There's tons of them out there. And there's a lot more right now because the stock market's down so much. I mean, even a stock like PayPal is under a hundred dollars and it used to be $300. So you could just do, you know, S&P 500 index fund. I don't know if you're planning on just, you know, you're starting with $100 and you're going to do that $100 every single month. That will grow pretty rapidly. If you don't want to like pay attention to stocks, if that's not your thing, you don't want to pay attention to companies, you don't want to know what they're doing day in and day out, then my go-to is just put it in the S&P 500 index fund and forget about it. It's averages 10% over the last 20, 25 years, you don't have to worry about it. You can just like set it and forget it. You can just put money in every single month and watch it grow. So that would be my advice if somebody had $100 and they just wanted to start investing now. Thank you guys so much for the questions and they're great. And you can hit me up on my IG anytime you want, Brett Johnson 11, and ask me questions. I answer most of them. There's a lot of people that I recognized their handle asking questions tonight. So I'll answer it. And guess what? If I don't know the answer, I'll tell you I don't know the answer. And I'll even go to so far to tell you hey, like if you maybe where you could show, find the answer. Do me a favor so, and double you guys have a great sure week. Thank you so much. Following if you're All right, I just found out from Brett that you forgot the Apple to end podcast. the show and the way we always end like the show. 30 seconds. Are you ready? You want to really say with me? the world to me if you were Love able ya. to leave mean a five-star review <laughs> and tell me specifically what it is you liked about oh, this episode. Oh, I do it. My show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I do also have a business podcast that comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I host that with my son Brock. It's called Build Your Tribe. You should check it out. There's always a link in the show notes. I'm sure you know this, but on Fridays, my episodes are very casual. It's very personal. It's usually stuff with myself and my husband. If you love that kind of stuff, I want to invite you to check out my Patreon. It's all of the Shaleen Show episodes ad-free. In addition to that, for just $5 a month, you get extra episodes. And this is this is the stuff that's like kind of too personal to put on 
The Shaleen Show. It, it's all personal stuff. There's like no like personal development. It's just real, raw, what's going on in our lives, stuff we can't talk about on the show. However, if you are easily offended, Patreon is not for you. That's not the place to be, all right? You can learn more about it by going to patreon.com forward slash The Shaleen Show. Any of the links that I referenced in this episode will show up in the show notes, which are just below the episode. To learn more about the services that I offer and to take advantage of some of the free resources, I invite you to check out my website, which can be found at shaleen.com. 